tea, toast and tactics. Sick of strategy? Let's have a brew and get into the tactical detail. Informal chats with practitioners. Hello. Thank you for choosing to listen to our new podcast series, Tea, Toast and Tactics. In this series, we're going to be talking to a range of tactical level commanders about their experiences and their views about how the British Army can do things better. In this first episode, we'll be talking to Ash, a company commander in the Parachute Regiment. This is our inaugural Tea, Toast and Tactics chat. And today I'm talking to Ash. We're going to start with Ash. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and why... I'm talking to you. Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Ash. I am a company commander in 3Para alongside uh, the interviewer. And we're talking at the moment because uh, a number of the points that we're going to discuss in a minute, we tested out in Kenya on exercise Ascari Storm 20 Stroke 1. That's right. And some things that we're going to talk about during this podcast are dispersion and radio silence and then the use of uh, company 2ICs or control rather than command mm. hopefully in that order but we will see but um let's have a bit more about you ash what's your, what's your career been so far up to this point because it's definitely not going any further um so so my career and this is where your avid listeners will definitely be able to piece together who i am despite not sending in my surname but i have served for nearly 20 years i joined the army as a soldier and after seven years commissioned into the parachute regiment i was also a soldier in the parachute regiment i might hasten to add uh, i commissioned the parachute regiment and spent the majority of my commission time down in St. Athen, but have flitted across to three power over the last couple of years and prior to staff college. And now I'm OC of C Company in three power. And I have the privilege to command a fine fighting company of paratroopers. But yeah, as already highlighted, I think I'm pretty sure my career is going to go no further, as probably most of the company commanders in three power. At almost, the moment. almost certainly. But what you do have is a a fair amount of of tactical level experience, which makes you a a decent person to interview for our first tea toast and tactics. And yeah, well, that's the last kind thing I'll say to you on this. It's very difficult to sell oneself on the end of a microphone because you're right. I guess I guess we do have some operational experience behind us, don't we? A fair amount, and who knows? Hopefully, more in future. Subject: the subject that we want to talk about now, something that both yeah, your company and mine practiced mm. in Kenya, was dispersion. First of all, let's explore what we mean by dispersion. So, what what does it mean to you, Ash? I think the the simple answer is obviously being far enough apart from everyone else in your tactical grouping, whether that's section, platoon, whatever, so that you minimize the effects of enemy weapon systems on you or on your formation. I think when we, that's relatively simplistic, but I think we out in Kenya tended to use dispersion to mean how we would conduct tactical marches rather than the necessary, like the sort of spreading out or, you know, spacing between individuals and stuff so i think dispersion became the watchword for basically doing a tactical march i think yeah so we're we're talking not i think we probably will end, end up talking a little bit about you know the the low level skills and drills of, of staying as far away from people as you can but yeah, yeah you, we're, we're talking here specifically about dispersed approaches particularly mm. on the march when moving from one area to another probably on an approach to battle yeah I would agree. Uh, I think it's something that we're slightly out of practice with having just come through what well, most of our careers have been spent less yeah. dispersed because we've we faced a, an opponent with a limited indirect fire 
capability. Yeah, but it was also forced on us because they had other capabilities that meant we had to get tight within an ECM bubble. You know, you didn't you didn't want to have to mark multiple IED lanes, so you tended to walk one behind the other. But it's amazing to see how that that certainly the beginning of Kenya. You know, my company were entirely comfortable in the old Afghan snake formation and didn't really when I sort of and any I guess this is being taught down on PCD or something I don't really know but broadly platoon commanders didn't seem to be comfortable doing anything else than the old tactical snake so it was it was it was very timely that we managed to focus on dispersal you know between your your company and mine what's interesting about that as well is that we're we're now actually quite a long way from the Afghan campaign we have soldiers who who haven't been there and then we also have junior NCOs who haven't had experience of that operation but are still affected by that well yeah the junior commanders aren't but the instructors down at pcd or whatever they're they're all like us aren't they they're all they're all afghan veterans i guess i think you're right so not to slag off the great job that they do <laughs> they, they do a fantastic they job do a fantastic job and i would hasten to add that almost all of my platoon commanders that i've had so far have been very good individuals good but but the point still stands that coming out of PCD or whatever, the lads were pretty comfortable doing an Afghan snake and pretty uncomfortable doing almost any other tactical formation across country. So it was something that we had to practice a lot. So it was something we had to do a lot, yeah. And it was good that we did get the opportunity to do it. Well, not I wouldn't say a lot. We got enough. We got enough practice. So the the special that we really want to talk about then is that on that approach. So how how did how did C Company Three Para approach mm. dispersal when when moving long distances? It was something that was controlled at company headquarter level. I would pass broadly all the detail down within my set of orders in the control measures piece. And I think that was important because that I owned the sort of plan for dispersal, even though we were talking about sort of section level maneuver going, you know, cutting around. And therefore that would normally be like the remit of a platoon commander. Actually, I think it was important that I'd given consideration to it, sort of two down and also controlled it two down because ultimately it was, it was meant to be a company movement maneuver march whatever you want to call it but it was it was a company of blokes going from point a to point b so i didn't delegate the control of that down to my platoon commanders by the end of kenya i think we'd figured out like the method of doing it but we hadn't necessarily figured out all the actions on and that's definitely something we need to have a think about as we go forward from here but what we would do basically was figure out what the enemy indirect fire range was from the objective that we were going to attack or going to do whatever on between the sort of company forward operating base harbor whatever to the extent of that enemy idf range i would allow platoon level maneuver and then we would have so we would go from effectively a company release point to three platoon release points the platoon would then do a break it down into their three sections and then with it when they were within an idf range of the enemy would conduct section level maneuver to a company frv the company frv would normally normally be manned by patrols and we deliberately didn't come back together as a platoons before we then came to the company rv we'd arrive at the company frv a section level and then we'd broadly be guided by patrols from the company FRV to the company FUP. And in terms of the sort of control measures that we used at company level, I would split the sort of nine sections. There were other groupings as well. Obviously, when we came together as a group, a company group, we'd have our attachments. Our company headquarters itself needs to move as well. But broadly, I would split the terrain down between 
the company FOB or whatever, company release point and the company FRV into almost nine patrol lanes. And each one of those would have a formation, probably a section going through it. And within each platoon, we would then break down into, so that was, sorry, that was conducting dispersed march, sort of deconflicted by space with the sort of nine patrol lanes. And then we would further deconflict by time at platoon level. And so within each platoon, one section would set off probably 20 minutes before two section, who would set off 20 minutes before three section. And what that meant was you would have, we were trying to reach a point where we would have a staggered formation across across those nine section patrol lanes, rather than, uh, as you pointed out, Frosty, the sort of axis of, you know, you effectively have a horizontal rather than a vertical. That's Those are probably the two wrong planes, but you know what I mean? Like you have a, you have a line one way with an Afghan snake and you have a line the other way. If you're mm. all, if you're all patrolling at the same rate, set off at the same point across the same terrain, it's just, you just change the axis upon which you're all going to get killed by indirect fire. fire. So we dispersed it by time and space uh, section level. And like I said, we came together, company FRV, and then we FUP, and then crack on. The things we never, I didn't, we didn't, it wasn't that we didn't nail it. We, of course, we considered it. It was the actions on. What we never, we never really got tested in the actions on. So we don't really know how they worked. We definitely got tested on dispersal, like the TES system allowed us to see how well we dispersed. We obviously left one location at a company group level and we came together and we were able to conduct a company attack at the other end. So that, you know, everyone, the navigation kind of works and all that sort of stuff. What we didn't really get to test were things like actions on contact. So what do you do if the enemy pings one of your flanking, you know, one of your flank sections and starts rolling you up? Like, what do you do at that point? Do you, is it, do you sort of try and maintain that sort of, I guess it's almost infiltration at not at section level. Do you still maintain that and you just accept the loss of one section or do you all rally together as a company and then go and smash that? enemy that are hitting you in the flank like we never really got to test that we did consider it in the actions on but we don't know how that would have worked trying to draw in nine sections none of whom are talking to each other none of whom really know where each other sits how, how do you how do you sort of amass that force package once it's been dispersed and if it's you know if it's out of sync with your plan how do you get them back together and fight something we didn't we didn't practice that so that I think that's the one action on we need to have a look at going forward. But things like actions on lost, action on casualty, like all of these actually got tested and the control measures that were put in place worked. The one that we didn't was actions on contact or or I guess, you know, actions on compromise um, as well. There endeth my rant. Interesting. You do some analysis and decide when you where you're at most risk of your indirect fire. And that's where you break up, which all sounds sensible. And then I suppose your next element of risk, like you say, is is someone getting pink of risk. Like you say, is is someone getting pink? I mean, there is a useful element to the dispersion on top of uh, on on top of the protection, it potentially or the mitigation rather than protection. It gives you from indirect fire, and that is it, it also adds a level of deception because hmm. you might ping one section, but probably assume if you only saw a section that that wasn't the main effort because it's such a yeah. small formation. Why would it be? This is only what. Eight, maybe ten people. Well, it's the ultimate deception because I don't even know where the blokes are, let alone, <laughs> let alone the enemy. Um, but, but actually, you and I had obviously discussed this beforehand, and so on and so forth. But actually, thinking back, this th- so that we did this in Afghanistan quite well. When so we would do when we did company maneuver, you'd have two platoons that were broadly operating on 
a defined patrol matrix, i.e., you know, going from point A to, and then the third platoon was just cutting around. No one knew where they were. The company commander didn't know where they were. Like they were the reserve, and they were just doing stuff. And mm-hmm. they would get from point A to B, and they'd obviously send locks, that's and all that sort of stuff. But because there was no defined, no, no, you know, approach route or defined, no, they weren't following in formation, so the enemy could never figure out exactly where they were. So they didn't attack because they, you know, they didn't know if the guys were around the corner. So it, it was born out of operational experience, I think. The, the other thing that you mentioned within that was, was not knowing where your formations below you are. And mm-hmm. that's because what you're not doing is talking all the time, which is something that's hard to get used to. We are really uncomfortable in silence. I presume it's army-wide. I was really conscious of my platoon commanders to try and minimise the radio chatter on the net we went radios off and frankly you can't really move through some of the terrain we did in kenya with a antenna up it's just it's unworkable so we deliberately chose to minimize on the radios go radio silent between from from the fob or company release point to the company frv in the, in the company frv we would put our antennas back on turn the radios on from that point on we'd crack on and we'd lift radio silence but I don't know. I think it's because, like I said, I'm inherently lazy. So I was never particularly concerned about not hearing from my blokes. I kind of assumed that, and obviously one of our actions on contact would was get get on the net. But I kind of assumed that between point A and point B, the lads were just cracking on and doing all right, you know, and someone would, you know, if people needed to get a hold of me, they would, you know, I, th- I thought it was all right. I was never, personally, never concerned about the radio silence aspect during dispersal but i think again that is where the testing of those actions on needs to play out we need to figure out what that actually operating the radio silence does because what do you do if one of your sec you know you hear some do you march to the sound of the guns type thing or do you just crack on how do you know when it's gone bigger than a section and actually they're rolling up your entire right flanking platoon or whatever i don't know how that looks Uh, and it's not something we tested a lot of people will talk about from radio silence to mission command well, uh, there's a large amount of trust that's involved there. And right. I I certainly found, to begin with, on this exercise, that it was uncomfortable. Because I was trying something similar to you in terms of dispersal mm. on the march. And the first time we did it, it was extremely difficult not to want to get onto the net and ask people where they were. And you've, you've got to ask yourself, why are you asking? Do you actually yeah. need to know? Because we've been through, again, you and I, been through a campaign where we've had complete dominance through a magnetic spectrum mm. so we've been able to do what we want and the next campaign we might not have that so we have to be prepared for yes it's encrypted chat but actually we need to go back to as if it wasn't encrypted and we're using old-fashioned backco wallets and and any message you send is actually going to be a ball ache so send as few messages as possible because yeah the sock type stuff limiting yeah. the transmission time so that you, so it makes it as difficult as possible for somebody to triangulate where you are uh, and bring fire on to you. So but I think as well, like you said, you know, with the mission command thing, it, that that certainly applies during that dispersal. We did a trial run of it during the warrior phase, during the sort of company level stuff, and actually all the blokes nailed it straight away. So I, I probably had I was slightly less concerned perhaps than you, or perhaps I'm just lazier and I'm less diligent <laughs> than you. That's probably more the answer. I've the point bit you know, like by the time we got onto the sort of the later stages of the exercise, I was I, I was fairly comfortable that my blokes would be able to get from point A to point B without me having to worry about where they were. Like I gave them the time. We were never late for HR. Like the blokes would always get there. We had the actions on that if someone was late, what did they do? Where did they meet us? Yeah. Frankly, if it was past HR, what happened? We so we had we'd considered all that. So I was never worried about 
the radio silence piece or the mission command piece during the disperse sorry during the approach routes actually what we need what i think we need to focus on more is when you're actually in the attack or when you're in the operate you know whatever you're doing the finish phase of the operation like i and it's obviously it's you know at that point oh, everyone knows you're there and all this sort of stuff well perhaps but actually it depends what that operation is you're doing and we are not comfortable in an attack with just letting people either crack on until they finish their mission and then get onto the net and ask what to do next Hmm. Or when they send an up rep, it's because they need your support and they, they're unable to continue or they're unable to achieve what you've asked of them. It, it's always push, isn't it? It's, all, you know, it's always me or my higher headquarters basically getting on the net asking for up reps, sit reps and lock stats and all this sort of stuff. Does, does that matter or, or should it just be a case of being comfortable in that silence until your subordinate gets on the net and says to you, I've finished what you asked me to do. So let, what do I do next? Or I'm unable to achieve what you've asked me to do. So I need some support. And you wait as a commander, you wait for them to come on the net and ask you rather than the other way around. Hmm. And takes- I say this conscious that I'm obviously a frustrated company commander, but I was very, really tried hard for my platoon commanders to let them just crack on and do what I told them to do and then get back on the net to me if they needed my support. I definitely remember there was some, there was a, one of the platoons was taking what I considered to be quite a long time to clear some buildings and was on their back quite hard. And actually afterwards, I was like, well, do you know what? That was, uh, yeah, there was a reason for it. It was safety, actually. But, you know, there was a reason for it. I didn't need to know why they were taking so long because, you know, I trust that platoon commander. Like, I've seen him in action. I know what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And I should have just let him get on. But I was definitely riding quite hard and I didn't need to. The trust word came out there and that's the bit that is only built up through uh, ex- shared experience like the exercise. So the next time you, you go, you probably will trust them sooner. That's only hope so. Yeah, and be more yeah, comfortable sure. in that in that position. I guess that yeah. shows the, you know, the, the value of, of these sorts of, well, I guess, of, of company level training. I read an article on the Wave Room actually about what people, what why we need to start trusting earlier, I think. Because, I mean, obviously it's great that we've done a Sky Storm and it, it was, you know, we, I think we got a lot out of it company level. Owning that as a commander and being conscious of the need to just be like, well, he's done PCD, so I'll just I'll give him the rope rather than go the other way, which I think a lot of us certainly it's easier to do than in the past. It's it's definitely uh, less uncomfortable to to add extra control measures or to yeah. pick up the net and ask for for more information. Yeah, it is, and I felt frustrated as a company commander when people were asking stuff that I didn't think they needed to know. So I'm sure my platoon commanders felt the same way. But I think radio silence, being comfortable in silence, minimising our MCON at every level is really important throughout. We are too, we are really uncomfortable in silence and we just need to figure out, and it's a cognitive, it's a mindset. It's not a, it's not necessarily a TTP or an SOP or whatever. You just, we just need to trust our blokes and stop getting on the net as much at all levels. Silence, violence, silence. That's the, the tagline. That makes me want. Saying <laughs> Make that you want to throw up. Makes me want to vomit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know who came up with that. Do you know who came up with that? I, As, you know, given you given your position in the way, Roy. I have no idea. But whatever. It's a great soundbite, but it's just been it's been overused. Yeah. It's like some awful number one Christmas song or something. Do you know what I mean? I just want to shoot it. It's not the second in command function that's of, of particular interest to us today, but it's the the command and control functions within a company. And for a, for a company commander, I think that's actually something that you haven't had before because you don't get this 
you don't have a control element when you're a platoon commander. So figuring out how the balance works between what is essentially a, a company when you deploy a company ops officer and uh, a company commander is is interesting. So how did you use yours? How did I use mine? So I luckily was able to talk to a good friend of mine who was also another rifle company commander who had a who has had experience of being a company to IC. So he gave me a few steers and obviously the good is it what is it five alpha. I don't know, whatever, light role infantry tactics and stuff has got a pretty good steer of how to use company to IC. They, I used them when I was too lazy to get into the detail, they did it. So when I couldn't be bothered coming up with the nine patrol lanes in my set of orders, they came up with the nine patrol lanes in my set of orders. But, you know, they did all the, they did control measures, they did all that sort of gubbins and ran it past me and I acknowledged it before we went out on the ground. When we were actually out on the ground, I asked of him to do 90% of the up reps and down reps because he had a lot of information to hand really easily. You know, he had net diagrams, so he knew exactly who he was talking to. He had the maps with all the control measures on it, so he knew exactly what who was coming to an edge of who he was coming to control measure and he needed to listen out for, whatever. He was able to take 90% of my reporting burden off myself and the SART major. So he would do our routine reports and returns. So what he did was like I said, doing all the detail on stuff that I was too lazy or frankly too busy to get into myself meant that he was able to control everything and he was able to present me options that I wasn't either I wasn't aware of or I'd forgotten about or just weren't in the front forefront of my mind at the time because I was off running around, you know, commanding, you know, the next firing the next platoon into the assault, taking the next platoon around the FUP, whatever it was. He was able to just be almost my conscience on my shoulder because he had so much information to hand and he was liaising with the high headquarters routinely. He had all the lock stats for my platoons, so I didn't need to worry about that. He had J2 feeds, so he you know, knew roughly where the enemy were for the next bound and all this sort of stuff. And he was just able to present me options. You could move your reserve set, your reserve platoon over here because they're likely to have to do some flank security in a minute type stuff. And it just meant that I could, by the end of the exercise, when I did trust him to sort of present me the right options, I was able to go with his assessment and just make a decision and say, yes, go and do that, which just allowed me to focus on the battle and commanding the battle while he was taking a lot of workload off my shoulders. And it was really, really useful having a company 2IC. I cannot stress it enough. Is it, is it quite nebulous what a company 2IC does? It probably is. I didn't. You know, it was my first time using one. I don't really know what they do beforehand. We've kind of done a six-week exercise and I've hopefully got a better handle on what they do, but not really. I need a bit more time with them, I guess, before I figure out how to best use them or speak to a lot more people about how to best use them. But it was whatever. What I do know was that having that other that other brain when you're going through the planning phase, having another set of like eyes and ears when you're going through the execution phase, and all that sort of stuff that isn't one of your platoon commanders or that you've stepped up or whatever, like that is really useful. There is a lot of value in getting a company to IC. And frankly, the moment a bloke's been through well some formal education at some point, he's good enough. Do you know what I mean? I don't need a captain who's been through. Uh, junior commander staff college i just need someone who's got another brain other than mine so then there's at least one brain in the headquarters half a brain please we're paratroopers <laughs> but but then the the other thing is that based on those six weeks it's you know we are definitely going to progress some of the stuff we hold at company level to make sure that the next dude who comes in if we get one doesn't have to go back through those lessons so we're going to we're going to knock to start knocking together company to i see sort of ops boards that you can that are 
you can parachute in with kind of based off what snipers have when they do their sketching you know what that having the ffr is fantastic it definitely gives you a lot more better situational awareness and better control functions than anything else it also means your signals aren't absolutely threaders by having to carry one too many radios per person and then stag on like nine different nets ad infinitum so that like they're exhausted the whole time so having an ffr definitely helps at company headquarter level but when you then break it out or you have to jump in and therefore you can't take your ffr having having that sort of like ops officer board or you know two ice company two ic board knocked up good to go that fits in the back of a bergen will be really useful i think well you're absolutely right it's a challenge for for airborne forces or for any light roll forces that get separated from their vehicles also having something that can very quickly be moved into a building of opportunity so you can take advantage of what might be given to you in terms of indirect cover that sort of thing or if you're in an obuer yeah if you're in a built-up area that sort of environment you might find that you can't use the vehicles any longer being able to take everything that the vehicle the kind of the vehicle cp post concepts and and move it on your back is the way to think about it it's actually quite simple like well this is it you don't want it it is simplistic but saying that make in like i have no doubt that people are going to be like oh it's too simple we need to make this more complicated and stuff (laughs) like all you're trying to do is just give a bloke something in front of him that he can see really quickly that just makes life easy for him and makes the makes the passage of information quicker so like those net diagrams that people have like that's definitely part of that list of things that needs to be in there yeah and it's not everyone can i I can remember all my platoon commanders call signs i don't need i don't need that it just but it's just the bloke can rather than thinking about it for five seconds he just looks at a diagram for one second and that four second you gain and it's that at all levels well so then the net diagram is interesting because something that hadn't occurred to me really until I started working at a company group level is is the number of feeds that come in on a company net when you actually have a mm. company group when you include your snipers your patrols your fst yeah. your mortars your guns your, all of that and some of them are on on call signs that you don't automatically recognize yeah especially when you're tired yeah and having that zero function whether it's two zero or three zero or whatever you are I think then reduces the amount of time that's spent on the net, which makes everybody safer. Because if it's just you as a company commander receiving that in, you you can't process everything. You yeah. end up asking people to repeat themselves because someone you're having a face to face with was talking to you when something came over the net, which your your company ops officer or your two IC would pick up. Zero would pick up if you didn't save that information and give it to you later when you when you can use it, or sometimes you you just have to inform some of your subordinates that the information they're trying to give you isn't really that relevant at the minute. Yeah. Uh, and, and they can do that. They can roger out, which is a useful function. And let's be honest. So the time we spent at the earlier phases of Kenya was really good at me being able to make sure my blokes understood about what I meant by radio silence and the level of information that I needed as a company commander and that they needed to send to the company to IC and when that was appropriate and all that sort of stuff was really useful because I think by the time we got to the end of it, C company, I never had to grip anyone. We probably need to spend a bit more time at group company group level because you know there was just a lot of feed that you know that company net which we'll come on to in a minute but like the route i could not have operated in the attack or actually in defense with that level of information flying around on the company net without like constantly gripping people which i had to do because the attachments were just 
constantly trying to drip feed me information and it just became frustrating and so one way I did get around that for our deliberate attack was that I put the company to IC up with the sort of fire support. And what that meant was that they just they just chatted to him basically, and I just I didn't want they weren't on my net during that deliberate attack, which was really useful. And he just interjected with stuff. One, he was able to see the battle underneath him, underneath him, like from his observation point, he was able to see the battle. So he was able to do ninety percent of the R two up the chain and the down reps as well. But also just meant that I didn't have that constant. Chatter from the attachments in my ear through that deliberate attack. So actually putting the company to IC co-located with your fire support assets was actually quite useful at that point. So he knew your intent and you let him crack on. I told him my intent, but it was probably (laughs) very verbose and waffly and full of effects verbs. I think the the company to IC piece was incredible and I can't sell sales pitch having a company to IC enough. Something for unit commanders to think about investing in and using manpower and making sure that they have the right people in those positions. And all, but also training them. I like company yeah. commanders. Like unless you know, there's at some some point there'll be that break where people like me don't really know how to use the two IC support. Like, I know how to use platoon commander. I was one. No idea how to use a company two IC. So someone needs to invest training in me or that individual so that they turn up knowing exactly what they've got to do. Because I don't know. And that's why I have this podcast. The PAM is useful, or whatever it is. The doctrine that is useful, but it, it definitely isn't. But it needs to be enriched by people's experience as well, I think. Because yeah. Yeah, that develops all the time. This, I'm, I'm sure lots of people have already started doing this. And we're probably behind the curve. But switching away from company all-in-form nets mm. and having more nets to communicate and fewer people on a single net. That's important because of the electronic warfare capabilities of, of future adversaries. And if we spike too much on one particular frequency, then we give away our positions. Where did uh, all informed company nets? Where they've they've come again? Probably come from the Afghan campaign. Yeah, I think I think they have. I well, you say that, but it, it might have just been a product at the time. Iraq in two thousand and three, there weren't PRRs, and I don't. I mean, I don't even know. My yeah, my section commanders must have had a radio. But do you know what I mean like? It, I think they were definitely between nets because one of my mates was a platoon signaller. But I don't know if that was the because of the capability of the radio at the time, plans or whatever. But do you know what I mean? Like as Afghan had developed, we've gone to company nets, and to be honest, I've never really liked them as a as a platoon commander or anything like that. Supposed situational awareness. Oh, my son's back. That supposed situational awareness you get from a, a company net actually just meant that it was entirely congested. I wonder if it was just something to do with an amount of frequencies that are available, and therefore it's something we're now comfortable in. Well, it, but the the point being that yeah, I think we are where we are with the company nets. They they came. And they need to go because the platoon nets were really, really useful. What what wasn't useful, I think, was two things. One, there is just a, an inherent dislike of platoon nets within our signals platoon. And well, so it's more work for them, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, if I was a, if I yeah, was in signals right. platoon, I would be slightly annoyed that I have to make more frequencies and write a bit a more in depth plan. But uh... yeah. So, but that that might be it. But they like they. The, the level of push-up we got and also amongst the sort of senior NCO cohort as well um, the two sergeants and stuff in my company like they just couldn't see the benefit of not clogging up a company net with you know platoon level niff-naff and there's still pushback if I'm honest as, as a company commander there is still pushback my platoon sergeants I think would and my company sergeant major would rather we didn't do it but 
my platoon commanders, myself, my company to IC, like we all get the value of having platoon nets and a company net. What you do need to do though is invest in that platoon signaler. Something we didn't do, we just sort of dicked one of the Toms type stuff. We went through a number of it, a number of individuals had to be recycled basically because they just weren't good enough as a platoon, platoon signaler. Like you do, you, you need to invest in that platoon signaler. And I met when I was a Tom, I, I was never a platoon signaler. I was never senior enough, but the lads, they got trained. Like they were basically the top Tom in the platoon who were then taken off to one side and they were invested in with more training than the other dudes. I think you've hit the nail on the head there is, and it's definitely the, how it's worked in, in my company is that it's the best soldier in the platoon is the one who has to be, or is mm. the platoon signaler. It's going to take a while to get that brought into the culture because soldiers don't want to do it because it's probably had too long as being a job that hasn't been seen as something where you put people who are candidates to be junior NCOs. Yeah. Well, also you've got to carry a massive radio. So they just don't <laughs> want to get lit. I think it's probably more that than the former. Yeah. You've got to carry a massive radio and hang around with the boss, which is, uh, but yeah. when you speak um, to, when you speak to senior soldiers, so my, my old company, Sergeant major was a platoon signaler as a junior soldier. And he said that was his, that was his look through the window. And when he realized that he didn't want to spend his entire life or his entire career, just as a soldier, fun as that is and important as that mm. is, once you uh, open that window and you look into you know, what it's like having the situational awareness you get as a platoon signaler, I think it sparks sparks your interest to go f- to go further. The whole point of this is obviously minimising chat on the company net, allowing platoon, you know, minimising time spent on the radio, all levels, and the platoon sergeants still have a really important role to play on the net, and obviously that is G4, Kazovac, ammo resupply. All that sort of stuff, you know, all of that sort of stuff still needs to happen, which which happened all the time on the company all informed net. And you know, so you'd be in the, your assault and you'd be getting Kazavak requests because, but that you know, in in Afghan that was, yeah, exactly. Generally. So so it didn't matter that that sort of stuff happened on the company all informed net because the moment someone got shot or became a casualty, that became the focus of the mission and everything was about getting them out of there. So you're you know, the company commander and the platoon commanders fight in a battle. It was all about just protecting that Kazavak at that point. So G4 became the, the main effort almost. But now we're sort of going back to conventional war fighting focus. That can't be the case. And I think that's probably where the pushback's happening at senior senior NCO level at the moment is trying to get them out of the Afghan G4 net business. And and they, they, not, they no longer become the main effort on the net. And they need to understand or we need to first of all we need to arm them the method of getting all that necessary information passed up passed up back and up and then you know they need to figure out what that process is like i think we had it we had it at the end by we stole the battle group alt net frequency and had it at company level and that became the g4 admin net and the sort of sop was that if the platoon sergeants needed to chat to the sergeant major about you know whatever I mean, I got out of being a soldier because my album's terrible. So I have no idea what that world looks like. But I, I imagine that they chat some really important stuff. When the platoon sergeant, the platoon sergeant would get on the net and just um, be like, you know, Sergeant Major, flick to admin net. They'd flick to admin net. They'd have this whole conversation to sort out what they needed to sort out away from, you know, the sort of forward-facing attacking company net. They'd then flick back, uh, once that conversation was over, back to their platoon, platoon nets or the company net for the Sergeant Major. And that was a sort of SOP, but it is reliant on 
a fourth subnet at company level. I think there's a, there's a there's a cultural change that is going to be difficult to accept and is easy to say, but harder to do. And that's accepting that against a peer adversary, the, the best way to protect casualties is to deal with them later and not deal with them immediately. I mean, clearly, you deal with them immediately where you can. But actually, and we have always said this during the, the campaigns that I've fought in is that you, know, you win the firefight you win the current battle and then you deal with the casualty yeah. but the truth is in in lots of cases that's not really been how it was you might win that immediate firefight but the mission generally ends when a casualty yeah. is taken yeah had done and that's not going to fly when you're fighting a peer adversary the mission ends when the mission ends yeah um, so you don't get wiped out exactly and if you're clogging a net up with casualty details which are very important but ultimately like that Mert's not coming until the mission's over because the helicopter's not gonna be able to get in anyway. You know, all yeah. of that stuff. So you keep your you keep your friends alive by completing the mission as quickly as possible, not by yeah. stopping it to pass that mm. bit of yeah, casualty no, info back. And it's a it's a it's a big cultural change. It's something that's gonna take a, a couple of well a few years probably to bed in. No, oh, I'm obviously being quite flippant about the importance of some of the stuff they pass on the net, like certainly in Ke- like Kenya obviously we got simulated casualties but water was a real mischief ammo resupply like all these these things are really vital to how you achieve your mission and therefore save your bloke's life like when my sergeant major is listening to this podcast in six months time i don't want him coming in and banging me out for like going off about <laughs> <laughs> like in no way but you know what I mean? like i'm being quite flippant about it but it's really important and therefore it, ne- it because it's so important i didn't really understand why why there was the pushback about resourcing that net having the admin net like everyone's it seems to me that people you know the command structure is pretty comfortable with having a company let and then sub platoon nets but then you've also got to buy into what that system doesn't allow you to have which is the g4 side of it otherwise you, everything's just clogged up with admin which you know we can't do so we've you've got to have four subnets um at company level agreed and, excellent excellent I'm glad you agree. You're cleverer than me. And I think that bombshell we will leave. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and thank you for listening. If you'd like to take part and talk tactics, head to waverroom.com or check us out on social media and get in touch. Oh, and don't forget to look out for our next podcast coming soon.